0: the latino community in the united states are the spiritual heirs of San juan diego i mean think about that San juan diego in the 16th century by the grace of god and through the intercession of our lady led to a spiritual revolution a conversion of an entire culture a continent all of latin america and so why couldn't we here in the u.s be the continuation of that legacy why couldn't we bring about this great transformation and this great conversion in
1: this America? These are the inspirational words of Deacon Charlie Etcheverry, Vice Chairman of Catholic Answers and founder of the Black Brown Collective. And this is OSV Talks, a show where we explore topics from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking all from the heart of the church. My name is Doug Took, and I will be your host. If your parish or your Christian community
0: is like the average one in the country, then even though you're at one parish, you oftentimes have two churches. Even though you have one congregation, you sometimes have two communities. Why is that? Because you have one group of people that's worshiping and organizing and preaching and teaching in one language... And you have another group that's organizing and worshiping and preaching and teaching in another. And with the exception of occasionally bumping into each other at the parking lot after Mass, they really don't integrate and interact. There's tons and tons of bicultural, U.S.-born Latino Catholics that are setting the world on fire. And those voices need to be raised and they need to be connected to all the great work and apostolate and evangelization that's happening in the country.
1: Deacon Charlie Echeverry was one of our featured speakers for OSV Talks, filmed before a live studio audience during the week of October 5th through the 9th in 2020. We also had the privilege of interviewing him about his incredible work and his dedication to unification among the Hispanic Latino community. His full talk is available at osvtalks.com. His message is titled Liturgical Orphans, an exploratory look at the dynamic changes taking place among Hispanic Latino youth in the face of the modern church. Charlie, you come from a really diverse background. I am just fascinated by your upbringing and your story. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from, where your Hispanic-Latino uh, heritage comes from, and 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 kind of what brought you where you are now?
0: I was born in L.A., uh, you know, very early on, left California. My dad worked for a big bank, and he took a role running the Latin American and Caribbean operation of that bank. And so my life uh, after that point, from a very young age, Was all about kind of living and being in a variety of different places. So we moved from LA to Mexico City. I spent kind of my formative years there, say like, you know, three to six years old. Had a lot of fond memories to this day. When I, you know, talk to my my relatives, I always say I consider myself more, if anything, more Mexican than Colombian because my family is Colombian. Uh, Lived in Mexico for a few years. Then we moved to uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina, where our Pope is from. Um, Spent some time there, then moved to uh, Venezuela, to Caracas. And then after that, spent a number of years in the Caribbean, um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands, lived in Saint Thomas. Then um, after that, went to you know high school, college in Florida, and then ended up all the way back across the country in California, where, you know, I basically raised and started my own family and ministries and all that stuff.
1: What an unbelievable journey! how How has faith been a part of that journey of your life? How have you how have you kind of fared through formation? Have you ever? You know, faded from the church, kind of fallen away from it, or has it always been really core to who you are as, as a person?
0: I actually did in my you know late high school, early college years, did fall away from the church. I faded, you know, to a this sort of you know sort of fuzzy middle ground of uh, I wasn't really practicing, didn't really believe, but if I was put in an environment where. It was clearly outside the scope of Christianity, I would challenge those thoughts. And I didn't know why. But like in college environments, you know, we I'd get into sometimes pretty aggressive debates with professors about, you know, things like abortion or things like contraception. I had no idea why I was saying the things that I was saying. If you were to ask me then, why are you even defending these points of view? It's not like I was a practicing Catholic, because I wasn't. But there was something that had been sort of imbued in me from a very young age that I think drew a sharp contrast when I would see things that were not in keeping with that. But I did fall away, even though I grew up culturally very Catholic. Um, and that's one of the you know, benefits and drawbacks of grow- growing up as a Latino kid, especially in, other, in these Latino countries, is Christianity is everywhere. It's everywhere, right? Um, but I think another part of why I fell away is I didn't really understand what the faith was. didn't really have an intellectual understanding of it. I had all the kind of feelings about it. Um, and I know what, you know, the customs and the traditions and those things that, you know, as a young person in particular, you would experience, I knew all of those things, but I didn't know the answer to why or why not certain things. And so I think as a result of that, again, it, it, it just, it was a slow drift that happened and it wasn't until I started getting challenged as to why I believe certain things that I started to kind of go back into that Christian realm to understand what kind of answers they had. I, I say this quite a bit, The one of the benefits of growing up in Latin America or spending a considerable amount of time there is that Christianity is woven into every aspect of your experience there, right? It's it's everywhere. You walk into a restaurant, they've got a crucifix up on the wall, right? People are praying at the table in school. They, you know, they do a prayer before school starts. It's Christianity is everywhere. Everybody goes to church, at least in my upbringing. The downside of that experience is that you take it for granted because it is everywhere and you can equate it with other parts of the culture. So for me as a like I'm Colombian, my family heritage is Colombian, right? And so we've got our types of food and we've got our kinds of music and then we've got our kind of church. And it was like, it was all part of that. And that's in a way, when you look at it that way, it kind of disappears. And that's the downside, which to me coming here uh, to the States, even though I was born here, I came back and really, you know, I feel like kind of became an American Think about it as like high school years, right? When I came back, I had to choose the church on some level. You had to say what you were or what you weren't because the church was not just like imbued into every aspect of the culture. You had to pick it. You had to like select it, right, and live it.
1: Do you feel like that experience as a young man coming back to the States is what really allows you in your ministry to seek a lot of solidarity with Hispanic-Latino youth that you that you work with.
0: I definitely can identify with them if... But I have sort of an inverse uh, experience with them, meaning that, you know, they're coming up as Americans in a country and reflecting values and experiences from other cultures. I was growing up in those cultures as an American, right? As sort of like as an expatriate. So we have a little bit of an invert inverted uh, relationship, but the one thing that I think we definitely share is this idea of having a foot in both worlds. And I think that's the commonality, this kind of idea of sort of being in the hyphen, right, of, you know, you've got one foot in this world, one foot in the other. Um, I said in my talk that, you know, the idea of voices over language, right, of a Latino voice doesn't have to be in Spanish, right? The, the duality of having a conversation with somebody and being able to connect with them in a way that goes beyond language And then at the same time, having to live in, you know, in this sort of greater society where a lot of those things are not sort of reflected every every moment.
1: You've spoken about how planting seeds in the hearts of young people in terms of faith is really integral to the processes that you've had success with. And and specifically you're a parent, uh you're you're married, and uh and and you've talked about that. You've talked about just the the traditions and the bits of information and the way that we witness the faith, that's really the guts of what can lead to healthy conversion. Can you speak to that just a little bit? I
0: think that that's um, hopefully good news for parents that the seeds that we plant lie there under the soil, right? We kind of don't see the shoot. We don't see the things sprouting. And we're kind of wondering, but God's giving the growth for sure. And those seeds eventually do sprout and they pop. And that's what began to happen with me because somebody, my dad, my mom, which, you know, very eclectic background on both of them as well, they had planted something years before and i think it was always with me and it was starting to kind of again that grace of that sacrament was nourishing that seed and it was beginning to grow because again intellectually if you would have asked me well why or why specifically catholic i get you want your kids to go to a religious school or whatever maybe you like uniforms i don't know like you want everybody to look the same and you don't have to deal with buying new sneakers every 6 months or whatever it is i wouldn't have been able to answer that question like why a religious school b why catholic specifically why not lutheran there's a better episcopalian one here no idea so but i knew it was it was clear that that had to happen and then my wife who was not catholic and grace beginning to work on her and her curiosity about catholicism and her asking me questions i didn't know that's that helped dramatically like why is uh, why is the priest wearing? first of all why is he wearing that and why is it green and why was it last week it was white phenomenal question i have no clue i have no clue i mean the first time that my wife pointed out a deacon i had no idea what a deacon well i am a deacon now and she asked me well, who is that guy because i saw him later and he was kissing some lady i thought you guys were supposed to be sitting you know not it's like I-, I have no idea i mean and and in a way it was kind of remarkable and in a way a little depressing that i didn't know any, like i felt like up here i didn't know any of this i had this feeling that i had to be here but i couldn't tell you and i'm a person who likes to talk and likes to explain things and wants to f- you know, feel like I am doing a good job of that. Couldn't do, you know, a darn thing here in terms of explaining to her what it was. So I had to go and like research it and study and like learn what the heck is all this stuff. And, you know, just discovered the treasure trove that's there, you know, and that kind of started to build on itself.
1: You're a teacher of the faith. Uh, you're, you're truly, you know, you're steeped in faith formation. Um, I'm just wondering how much your, your cultural background informs that process for you, how much the way you were raised, uh, culturally exposed to the faith in a unique way, how much does that inform the way you share the faith today?
0: I wouldn't take it back for the world, right? The fact that I was raised in that way and that you know, all of the customs and traditions and things that point to the truth were there. Definitely would never take that back. And I agree. Look, God is my brother, who's a Benedictine priest, a Benedictine monk. He says um, that God is frugal, right? He doesn't waste a thing. And so even those little, you know, kind of customs or things that I grew up with that you might forget, you know, anything from like, you know, the baby Jesus and the little piece of bread, the doing a manger every, you know, every Christmas, doing novenas, which are a big thing in Latino culture, especially the, the novena to the divine child on the way to Christmas, where everybody sings things. I mean, I had no idea what we were doing. I thought it was just like what families do. But nevertheless, they sow those seeds, and it's almost like um, it's like an echo, right? So like you feel it and hear it and see it, and you may not intellectually ask yourself, what's the source? But it has an impact, right? And I think the perfect combination which is what I'm trying to do now, but we all fail as parents is to have that feeling, but also point to, Hey, this is why this stuff also makes sense. You're not, I'm not just, this isn't just a family tradition. Like we like the Packers or the bears. This is the truth. And yes, all these things are beautiful and they're important, but they come from something more importantly, someone. And that's the person you need to know. That's to me, the fullness of, of the way to to
1: teach. That's well said. In your work, in in the good work that you do now, you, you identify gaps of of ministry outreach. Just quite simply, practices that are maybe not helping to reach Hispanic Latino teens. What are strategies? What are, what are the steps that we need to take to to do this better? To reach a generation that you certainly feel we're losing um, on a regular basis.
0: We almost found in our work this idea of potentially a crisis of invitation, right? Because you have, at least from the research we've done, this propensity to want to be involved, this propensity to want to give time, right? And yet a sort of institutional under-index in participation. So it doesn't make sense that you have people who want to do more and yet they're less involved. To me, what that says is we're probably not inviting them to do as much, right? I gave the example earlier about maybe just next Sunday, go to the Spanish liturgy, right? I mean, it sounds kind of wild in a way for some people to maybe think about, it's like, why would I go there? Well, it's an entirely different world, but it's all, it's all got people that live in your same neighborhood and, you know, work in similar buildings, but you're, it's almost like you're not engaging with them. Well, there's an opportunity to do that. And just a couple of conversations in that setting, you'd be amazed what you might come out with, right? The networking potential of that alone. So I do think, again, I'm not saying it's neutral in terms of the effort it requires effort but it's something that i don't see very little options around like we have to do that at least again in the 21st century in the u.s this is what we have here to contend with
1: and you're referencing in terms of what we have this the fact that data shows uh, hispanic latino young people leaving the church
0: if you were to look at this statistic a decade ago the answer would have been that they were they were leaving catholicism for other, in some cases, more evangelical uh, variations of Christianity, right? So big strand strand of uh, evangelicalism and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sorry, um, uh, you know, much more charismatic uh, sort of denominations within the Christian community because that's something that appeals to them culturally. Sadly, today, it's not the same. It's not that they're going from Catholic to other Christian denominations. They're going from Catholic to, I'm just done with all this Christianity stuff, period. That's what the, that's what the data indicate. And that is, has accelerated dramatically in the last seven years. And what my fear is, is that COVID does even more acceleration to that number. So I think if it's ever been urgent, I mean, it's, it's now. These are the sheep, right? To use France, Pro Francis' uh, words about smelling like the sheep. These are the sheep that we have in the 21st century U.S., right now right so that's our sheep and the more that the inside is um you know impacted and shaped by their experiences by their perspectives by their presence i think the better off we'll be able to communicate and advance the gospel to the larger sheepfold if you will
1: how much does speaking spanish and translating ministry programmatic materials into spanish matter Uh, To outreach, Uh, how do you minister? Do you minister in Spanish? Do you minister in English? Do you minister in both? How important is language to the success of of outreach to Hispanic Latino young people?
0: Certainly in my own case, I mean, obviously I minister in the language of Spanish in certain liturgical settings and even outside of those liturgical settings. But increasingly, again, I'm ministering or trying to minister To young Latinos, I'm doing it in English, but I'm doing it in a way that's culturally relevant. I've seen what they've seen. I know what they've come from. You know, the, the easy way to think about it is that a capability is not a preference, right? So my ability to speak, you know, I took four years of German as an example, right? That doesn't mean that I'm connected deeply to German culture or that... I understand the nuances between the regions in Germany or Austria. I have no idea about that. But I happen to have some understanding of the language where I can have some rudimentary conversations. I think that to try to explain to me, you know, German uh, culture by speaking to me in German would probably be a mistake in that example, right? But maybe by showing me, hey, in English, right. hey, here's the beer garden and here's Oktoberfest and here's a pretzel and all these other things, right? That would make that culture more real to me and trying to speak to, it, to me in that particular language. So a capability is not a preference. And I think what happens, and there's nothing wrong with it, it's a very natural inclination. I'm always very conscious of making sure people don't walk away with the idea that Spanish is somehow not helpful. It is hugely helpful. Not only hugely helpful, but it's also a beautiful language. There is this heart connection to that language, which is very beautiful. But having said that, the idea of how we communicate with this community being solely rooted in whether or not we're translating our bulletin, whether or not we're translating our website, whether or not the priest can speak Spanish or do a homily in Spanish. That is, you know, using poker terms, table stakes. Absolute table stakes. The lowest of the, lowest of the low-hanging fruit. And increasingly getting lower as you go into these other generations, right? These unaffiliated that you were talking about. I mean for the most part to answer you know that question yeah absolutely they're they're born here they're brought up here right of course they yes they they understand spanish many of them speak it no question but the question i always ask myself is when they text their friends what language are they using it's the language of their friendships and that's english now it's always in culture it's always in that sense of this is who i am but it's in english and so we have to figure out that cultural relevance with English, particularly for young people, as a way to help advance and drive them further.
1: So I'm an Anglo-American, white, Caucasian, Catholic guy. Uh, Give me some instruction. What can I do to uh, understand um, the Hispanic Latino culture and uh, and to, to kind of open my heart and my mind to the beauty of the gift of this culture in the faith and the domestic church?
0: look for ways to become enculturated, right? I mean, it's relationship, right? It's, it's gospel principles. It's about going and pressing the flesh. It's about learning about people's experiences, sitting in, the, in their chairs, you know, um, taking an interest, inviting them to do things. I mean, I think it's super easy. And it's also, um, it's also kind of fun, you know? I mean, uh, I'm not suggesting parish hopping, but, you know, if, you're, if your parish doesn't happen to have a Spanish liturgy, I'm sure there's one not too far down the road that does. Go there, experience that, you know, hear the different hymns, look around, see who's sitting in the pews, talk to people after Mass. I mean, that's a way to just open up an entirely new dimension of what it is that's, that you're living, right? That's like a really easy way, I think, to do that. And then in a diocesan setting, I mean, there's a thousand ways, I think, that, you know, you can do that. But again, it, it really just takes the desire to want to Right. In that sense of what you mentioned earlier, the invitation to take part in things and to say, I really want to hear your perspective. And I'm not just going to limit your perspective to the Latino part of this conversation. You know, that's something that I debated even doing this talk that I gave today was this is so on the nose. You know, I'm I'm a Latino, I'm gonna talk about the Latino church, right? Which I've I've heard this from other people, right? Theologians, academics that maybe have some of this knowledge. But they only get invited to talk about this stuff, right? Where they want to talk about everything just from their perspective. I think it's in phases. Right now, it's I'm happy to be the the on-the-nose guy and tell the story about the Latino church. But eventually, it's about how we can bring the perspective into every aspect. To ecumenism, to liturgy, to theology, to whatever. That's when I think we're really fully taking advantage of, of this great opportunity that we have in front
1: of. us. I'm so thankful for the time we've had. I'm so thankful for the, just the culmination of your unbelievable cultural and formative history and your your story and where you've come from and your journey through the diaconate and uh, I'm just excited. I'm excited that you've decided to sort of give all these gifts and all these tools from all these experiences to the faith.
0: I have spent my career building businesses and growing them really in the media space, specifically the digital media space, and with an emphasis over the last 12 or so years on these audiences. We call them audiences in the secular space, right? From a a religious standpoint, they're souls. These are people, but... And so I've learned a lot of, obviously, information and research and data, but also strategies to help bring about that engagement and that growth with, with these communities. And so that's what I learned, you know, at Disney and AOL and, you know, working with sports leagues and doing all this other stuff. And now I feel like I've got that bag of tools and now I'm going to build this other kind of house, which is really the, the more noble, more beautiful, better kind of house, right? Um, the one that gets us closer to God, which is the objective. The Latino community in the United States are the spiritual heirs of San Juan Diego. I mean, think about that. St. Juan Diego in the 16th century, by the grace of God and through the intercession of Our Lady, led to a spiritual revolution, a conversion of an entire culture, a continent, all of Latin America. And so why couldn't we here in the U.S. be the continuation of that legacy? Why couldn't we bring about this great transformation and this great conversion in this America
1: These are the words of Deacon Charlie Echeverry, vice chairman of Catholic Answers and founder of the Black Brown Collective. You can listen to his and all the OSV Talks at osvtalks.com. We hope you've enjoyed this show. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review our show wherever you like to listen. Contact us at osvtalks.com with your questions and or comments. Friends, innovative thinking is at the core of OSV and OSV Talks is part of a much larger effort to be a catalyst for Catholic innovation. OSV Institute for Catholic Innovation in partnership with ODB films brings you these talks from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re-explore old approaches and inspire creative thinking all from the heart of the church until next time. God bless. This show is a production of the spoke street media podcast network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.